morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, depending on where you are, what time you are listening to this. My name is Winston, and this is another episode of the Revenue Alignment Podcast. I am your host, and today we have a very special guest with us, a Miss MJ Peters. MJ, it's good having you on. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Winston. Thank you for having me. And thank you for jumping back on. I mean, first time on the Revenue Alignment podcast, but actually this is our second or maybe third podcast together. So you're you're no stranger here. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if I've gotten better at the whole podcast guest. <laughs> right. So, guys, I mean, really and truly, MJ needs no introduction. But for those of you who may not know who she is, um, you know, MJ has held several positions, um, you know, marketing leader positions throughout her career, you know, being a product and marketing manager and move on to become the director of marketing and VP of marketing at Firetrace International. And, you know, currently she she's the VP of growth at, at Refine Labs. So MJ, before we even get into any sort of question in our conversation, why don't you just tell us about her um, your history? Because I'm certain there are certain things I missed out. Um, in that. Yeah. So I know we're going to be talking about business acumen and marketing today. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about my background just through that lens. I graduated university and I went straight into a rotational development program with a company called Halma. So this is a global manufacturing conglomerate that owns about 50 to 60 small to medium sized businesses around the world. And the program lets you rotate through different parts of the business in six month rotations and you work on projects. So first six months out of school, I was a manufacturing engineer. And then I went through marketing, product development and product management, finally landed in that position you mentioned, manager of product and marketing, where I was doing, I was basically a one woman team doing product management and marketing. Product management is great for building business acumen because you, you basically are the CEO of the product line. That's how a lot of people describe it. Got my first chance to uh, join a leadership team coming over to Firetrace. So there I built the marketing team from two to five and was a member of the board of directors, eventually getting promoted up to VP. Um, that was great, again, for business acumen because I was exposed to uh, how the leadership team was making decisions, learned a lot about finance, which we can get into. Um, and then most recently came over to Refine Labs where I lead right now product marketing and sales. So this has been a busy week for me. I'm onboarding, onboarding our first director of sales here at Refine Labs. Oh, awesome. And, and let's just go back to, to your previous, well, not previous, previous tool, um, where you mentioned being a, a board member. Talk to us about that experience because that was very interesting. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um, so some of the people listening to this might uh, be familiar with like the software as a service board model. Um, and typically in a SaaS company, your board is like filled with people from the venture capital firm and your investors, and then maybe the CEO and maybe the COO and the CFO are on the board. But um, inside of these Helma companies, really anyone that is a VP or leading a department is on the board of directors. And we only had 
one or two people that were not executive members of the board of directors, which right. means executive traditionally means they work at the company, right? And then you have non-executive members who work at other companies but are on the board. So the only two non-executive board members would be um, somebody from another company within the Helma group that was there to provide an outside perspective, and then usually the president's boss, so some kind of like divisional exec. Um, so that's the board model. And uh, so I was, as the leader of marketing there, uh, a member of the board of directors. Okay, and, and what was, like, probably you can help us understand what were some of the conversations that, that happened in, in, in those meetings? Because one of the things I found, I found, and we'll get into that later on, is that marketers have a very narrow point of view, not necessarily because they necessarily want to, but because they can only see things through a marketing lens. So probably help us understand like what were some of the conversations um, that were happening in those boardrooms as it relates to marketing's value to the organization or contribution to the organization. Yeah, so when I joined Firetrace, the one of the top priorities of, well, there was really two top priorities of the CEO. We were right in the middle of really turning around manufacturing operations, getting a hold of our supply chain, making sure we could ship things out on time, making sure we were hiring the right people into our technician roles and, and retaining people. So that needed a lot of work. So he was really involved in that day to day, but actually the CEO of Halma, Halma being a $10 billion market cap company told him, hey, um, I know you're turning around operations right now, but don't wait to think about growth. Because right. if you wait to think about growth, one day you'll wake up and it'll be too late. You should have started thinking about growth. You will, will wish that you started thinking about growth 18 months ago. So he thought about that and um, he started to, to first think about marketing which is interesting because I don't think uh, all CEOs would think that way. They'd be like, growth, I need to hire more salespeople. Right. Uh, <laughs> when he first thought about marketing, that, that I think speaks to CEO understanding the value of marketing. And uh, he said, all right, well, uh, first things first, marketing needs to figure out which, well, who is our ideal customer? Which right. segments do we need to be focusing on? Um, and he knew that I had experience doing that, which is really why he brought me in. Um, so at the board level, the early discussions were, um, we've been doing some customer research. This is where we think customers see value in our product. Um, you know, some people in some industries see more value than others. How is this going to impact our go-to-market strategy? Where do we geographically have salespeople in the world? How do we talk about our products? What needs to be on our product roadmap? So marketing was heavily involved in all of those things. Okay, so yeah, great. So what about, um, I wasn't even going to go there, but since you, you brought it up, what about um, those marketers who may work for a CEO who, a CEO who doesn't get marketing? Um, what, what do you recommend they do? I mean, I know, I, I'm not sure if this is the, the entire culture or, or thought process of everyone at Refine Labs. I know it is for Chris, where he mentions don't work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing. Um, what's, what's your take on that in terms of how can marketers strike that balance between, um, you know, not working for a CEO or, or not being a part of a company that doesn't value marketing, but at the same time, marketers still need to be held accountable for, for results such as, you know, um, revenue and so on, business outcomes. Yeah, I think I'm a little more forgiving than Chris on this point. Um, <laughs> I don't think 
I don't think it's black and white, right? I don't think you either get marketing or you don't get marketing. I think it's more of a two by two, right? So you've got um, the, on one axis, you have, does the CEO get marketing or do they not get marketing? But then on the other axis, you have, what is the size of the CEO's ego? <laughs> so, uh, okay. um, and why I think that's important is because you could have a CEO who quote unquote doesn't get marketing, but they're a low ego person, right? They're right, open-minded. Right. Um, and, and you can work with that person. And actually, I think um, some marketers, I would probably count myself among them, can really thrive in a situation where um, the CEO doesn't know a ton about marketing, but they trust you, they respect you, and they're willing to learn from you. And you can make a huge impact in those kind of companies where you don't want to get into is CEO doesn't get marketing and they have a huge ego um, because you're never going to change that situation. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. So what about the ones who they, they, they have a low ego and they're open. Like what can marketers do to really prove? Because, you know, you mentioned about that respect, that trust, but it's not something, at least I believe a CEO is just going to give to you just because you, you say, hey, you know, trust me with this budget um, and, and we'll see what happens. So what can marketers do? Or what should they be focusing on to really earn that trust and that respect from the CEO? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is to figure out what is important to them and to deliver on that in your first 90 days. So um, I knew, uh, so, so objectively, when I started at Firetrace, that was a CEO who did get marketing. So I was in a good situation, but um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different aspects to marketing, right? And what you as the marketing leader might see as the number one priority may not be what the CEO sees as the number one priority. So I knew that the CEO saw this customer research and segmentation effort, um, just truly understanding our customers and why they buy from us. And there was a caveat in there because we sold through distribution. So our right. company was not very close to the end user. And ultimately, distributors buy stuff from you because they can sell it to someone else. Like, that's it. That's the value prop. So we need to understand <laughs> the value prop the end user. So that was his number one priority. I was super bullish on digital marketing because so many manufacturing companies don't do any digital marketing. The landscape is wide open and there's so much low-hanging fruit. But I knew that in order to gain the CEO's trust, I need to to deliver on his number one objective, that customer research in my first 90 days. So I started there, I delivered clear results that, you know, he saw that and he said, all right, she's doing what I brought her in to do. And then I started bringing other ideas to the table. Hey, we need to redesign our website. It's on like PHP from 2004. <laughs> we need to implement a real CRM system, right? And we did all of those things, but only after there was clear traction in the area he cared about most. Yeah, I haven't even heard the term PHP in a while. Um, <laughs> that's been a while. And, 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 that's how you know. <laughs> you you, you kind of touched on a question I, I was going to ask later on in the podcast, but since you brought it up, um, in terms of those first 90 days, like... I don't know if you have like a set process that you follow or just like on a high level things that you can mention, like what, what do you recommend? Let's say it's a brand new marketing hire. They just started day one. What can mm -hmm. they do those first 90 days to truly show the value of marketing's impact to the organization? Yeah, it's, it's funny because if you're interviewing for a marketing leadership position, people will ask you that question. Um, and that question is is kind of weird to me because it like it inherently favors people who have like a 
playbooks that they're going to come in and implement. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, right? Like you need to get in there and diagnose the situation before prescribing your playbook. Um, right. I knew some, I, I had an inkling based on the interview process that um, this company was going to need the customer research stuff, right? So you can do your due diligence. What is the CEO's number one priority? I knew it was customer research. So I came in and my first objective was I need to diagnose why this is not happening already. Right. So he brought me in because it wasn't happening. Um, what's the root cause? And so I diagnosed the root cause as people don't know how to do customer research. So you ask people to go out and do customer research and they don't do it because they don't even know what that means, right? Or why you should do it. Um, and so that was like a training issue. People needed the skills. And it was also a little bit of a culture issue as well. There was not a culture of customer research and market research in this organization. So I diagnosed the root problem and I moved quickly to correct that. And so what I prescribed then once I diagnosed the problem was I brought in this consultant, um, which was smart because I didn't realize how smart it was at the time, but um, he specializes right in training people on customer research and also in kicking off these sort of culture changes. So um, I think People underestimate the value when you're in a culture change situation of bringing in someone with the right energy level at the beginning. This guy's high energy. He's great um, uh, to, to really kickstart and, and get momentum there. And so I really like if you're in this situation, you've got two options. You can go bring in a consultant who does this 24 seven, 365, right? And they're going to be really good at it. And they're going to do it faster than you. Or like, hey, I've got the skills to do this. I could design my own training program. And I'm really glad I went with the former because um, it got us going a lot faster. It was a lot less work for me. Um, and honestly, it was worth every penny. So we did that training. And then from there, it was about holding people accountable to implementing those skills that I had brought the consultant in to train them on. Right. Which is... <laughs> Man, there's 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 so much are, are so many follow-up questions. Um, <laughs> I haven't even gotten to the actual questions I want to ask you just yet. This is so good. Um, in terms of customer research, because I'm someone as well who believes heavily in it. Um, as a matter of fact, I I can't see myself implementing or prescribing any sort of marketing strategy, tactic, execution unless I've spoken to a handful of customers at least. Um, but I know there are organizations where I don't know if it's a policy thing, if it's red tape, if it's culture that marketers aren't allowed to do that customer research. They're like, hey, you know, only the sales team or only the customer success team speaks to, to customers. Um, what can marketers do in that in that situation? Whether it's how can they get the buying for marketing to the customer research or doing a culture change or, you know, how can they maneuver and navigate around that? Yeah. Number one, uh, the last time I was considering switching jobs, ended up coming to Refine Labs. Um, I had one other offer on the table. Um, and I, first of all, Chris and Megan are fantastic. So there's a gravitational pull towards Refine Labs. But the other reason that I didn't take that other job is because I interviewed with the sales director and he was very hesitant about marketing, talking to customers. And it came out in our conversation. So I was like, mm, bit of a red flag there. Yeah. So that's one. Talk about that when you're interviewing. Um, however, number two is if, if the organization is not completely stonewalling you, but they're a little bit hesitant, 
and the sales team isn't making those intros easy for you, um, you just need to do the work um, and actually go out and set up conversations with people that aren't customers, but they're ICP. Um, okay. yeah. that it's actually a lot easier, I would say, in a manufacturing organization because a lot of manufacturing organizations don't like have SDR teams. They don't do a lot of cold calling. So if you as a marketer are going to go reach out cold to people that are ideal customers, but they won't, aren't buying from you yet, it's not like that person's already been called six times by an SDR. Like they're just, this is the first time they're hearing from you probably. Yeah. Um, you have to do a lot of outreach, right? To get people, because especially non-customers, they, they don't feel affinity to your organization. So they're not necessarily going to give you their time. Um, but some people will say yes. And people like some people just want to help. They want to be helpful and they like talking about what they do if they're an expert, right? So some people will say yes to this. You interview those people. And it's crazy because sometimes actually in the course of the interview, um, the person like by the end of the interview wants to buy something from you, even though you're not even selling anything. <laughs> when that happens, then the sales team's like, whoa, marketing can talk to customers whenever they want. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and just, just piggybacking on that, um, you know, getting to the root of this conversation now. Um, I remember you made a post, which was a great post, by the way, where you mentioned about doing cold calling and that helped with your messaging, um, you know, with some work you were doing at Refined Labs. And I thought that was brilliant. Um, talk to us in terms of what are some of the lessons um, and, ex you know, your experiences with doing sales now, because I'm assuming that you're doing a lot more sales probably than you've have ever had in your career. Um, how, how, did, how does that shift or how did that shift really help you become better as a marketer? Yeah. Having that, getting that sales experience. I'm incredibly fortunate at Refine Labs. I don't have to actually cold call anybody. We have 100% of our pipeline is inbound. So that's nice. <laughs> My customers just book time with me, which is great. Um, but it's uh, it's been a very interesting uh, experience for me in my career to do sales uh, because you, you realize that uh, sales is on the hook, not just for delivering the messaging, right? Really marketing, you deliver the messaging you, you in whatever format, right? Whether it's a homepage or a piece of content. And usually you don't have to um, answer questions, handle objections, all of these things, especially not live in person with very little time to think, right? So um, what sales inherits is oftentimes marketing messaging that is not fully baked and they just have to make up for the difference. And so now that I'm in the hot seat, it's like, oh my God, whenever we launch new messaging, like I have to flight this, right? And I have to handle the objections. And if it doesn't land, I'm gonna have to be the one that pivots and, and saves the conversation, right? It's a lot of pressure. So it has given me a lot more empathy for sales, especially from a product marketing perspective of like, you need to do a lot more work as a marketer to give sales like some really concrete training. Um, how do you handle objections? How do we clarify this? Because if there's any gaps in the messaging at all, sales is going to have to improvise to fill those gaps. <laughs> and if you have to improvise too much, yeah. they're just going to fall back on their old pitch because they know it and, and it's worked for them in the past. So if you really want new messaging to stick, um, I, I, in the future, will work a lot harder than I have in the past in product marketing, handing off to sales. Yeah. And, and I'm assuming that probably where marketing and sales alignment is concerned, it, it, it has given you 
a better perspective on on how to do that right yeah for sure um it's given me a better perspective on really what sales deals with day to day and um it's interesting too from the sales side of the table because i have previously been in marketing um i don't write things off as easily as i think maybe a lot of salespeople would right like when when there's new messaging um chris and i work on it together and sometimes i'm like oh i don't want to implement this new messaging it's like I'm just going to blow up my whole pipeline. This is just terrible. But then I think back to when I was a marketing leader. I mean, I still am the marketing leader here too. But, you know, when I was solely a marketing leader, yeah. not in charge of sales, and I was so frustrated that sales would never even try to implement my messaging. And I'm like, okay, I have to at least give it a try. So I have empathy from both sides of the table now. And and what do you recommend for marketers to do to one, um, to have that same level of empathy? Because I've... I found that it's true even with myself, like my, my sales background makes it, makes me a bit more empathetic and understanding towards some of the things that sales go through. Um, what do you recommend marketers do from their end in terms of how to better achieve marketing and sales alignment? Yeah. Um, I mean, join sales calls for sure. Um, and then if you find yourself in, in a situation where you are launching a new product, or you are trying to break into a new segment, whether that's the enterprise segment from mid-market, the SMB segment from enterprise, or like a specific industry vertical, actually, I think um, product marketing should sell the first couple of deals themselves. And I used to do that when I was a product marketer, product manager in manufacturing. Like if we were launching a completely new product or we were developing prototypes for a new product, I would lead the calls with prospective customers to understand what their pain points were. And often through that customer development process at the end, I would actually get the PO, I would get the purchase order. Um, And so, you know, if you are in a situation where you're launching something new and you have the ability to actually close the deal yourself, it's such great practice and, and it helps you really hand it off to sales and and give them something that they can run with and scale. Yeah. Because now you have that, practical experience rather than just theoretically what you think might work yeah and it's unfortunately it's not practical for everyone in every role but um you know seek out those experiences if they become available to you for sure yeah definitely and i've i think you're you're the eighth guest i've interviewed i've interviewed seven other people and it's so funny um probably one or two of them fall within marketing but most of them aren't um, so, you know, whether they fall in operations, I interviewed Megan just the other day. So that's, you know, customer success, um, finance sales, and the common theme that I've realized with literally every single guest I've interviewed is that, um, starting how we pretty much started this podcast around marketing, having that very fixed, narrow point of view where they can only see marketing and nothing else. Um, they lack that organizational perspective on a high level um, that would really make them better marketing leaders. First of all, why do you think that is and what do you believe they can do to really develop that that mindset and that acumen? Yeah, um, I think part of it is because there's so many things that you could do in marketing that one of the most important things you can do as a marketing leader 
is figure out what the one or two or three things that you should go all in on are, right? So um, at Refine Labs, LinkedIn and the podcast generate like 90% of our business. Um, Between LinkedIn podcast and then the word of mouth that gets generated because of the LinkedIn and the podcast, that's almost 100% of our business. and so we go all in on that, right? And but but Chris figured that out early on in the company, right? Because we could have, you know, we could have focused on kind of outbound sales inside of communities like Pavilion, right? We could have done right. SEO. We could have done outbound cold calling. I think he tr- even tried a little bit of that at the beginning, right? Um, and so if you don't have an understanding of what's going on in the rest of the business, like product, right? What are the, the um, key things that your product does best and why are those important to customers? Uh, customer success, what kind of customers are uh, churning versus what kind of customers are your best fit customers that are super happy? Um, finance, which segments of your business are the most profitable? Where would it be the smartest for you to grow? Then it's really hard to narrow down all the options and where you can double down in marketing. So that's why I think business acumen is extremely important. Yeah. And just staying on that that same point, um, you you made a post around, you know, your your career trajectory um, over the next ten years, and you were saying these are probably three or five skills or experiences that you develop based on what your goals are. So within the context of marketing, actually getting a seat at that strategic table, whether it's at a board level or it's one level below board. Um, what are the three to five skills that you believe they should develop over the next, let's say, five to 10 years to really be able to have that seat at the strategic table, the leadership table? Yeah. So um, think about the context of this post was think about where you want to be in three to five years or 10 years, whatever time horizon you choose. And what are the skills you don't have today that you need in order to get there and then write them down and writing them down is very important because it really forces you to think about it in a way that it goes beyond the surface level. So when I did this list about five years ago, um, my long-term goal was actually to be a founder of a company. And so I, uh, you know, at that time I was a, I was kind of an individual contributor, kind of a manager. I had like one direct report. So I was like, I definitely need to lead a team that's bigger than one person, right? Um, I was very fascinated by startups and a lot of startups are in the software space. So I wanted to work on a software product. I could see the president of my company at that time making decisions about where we should invest at the company level, not just at marketing. So I talked about how there's many different things you could do in marketing. If you're the CEO of a company, there's even infinitely more things you could do, right? Because now you're not just choosing between SEO and a podcast, you're choosing between <laughs> building a robot, fixing the supply chain and acquiring a small business down the street. It's like, whoa, how do I prioritize that? And yeah. I had no inkling of how he was doing that. So. I was like, I'd like to gain the perspective that allows me to do that and so that I'd be confident making those kinds of decisions. And um, people just talk about the P&L all the time. And I remember when people used to talk about the P&L before I understood a P&L and before I understood finance. And I was like, man, I don't understand this. It's just a bunch of numbers. It's accounting, taxes, whatever. Why does this matter? But I was like, I feel like it matters. So I should probably learn. <laughs> you know, like, so those were the things on my list. Um, and you know between now and then i've checked almost all of those boxes um and i'm now in a leadership position and reflecting back on that the team leadership thing is huge 
And the business decision-making piece of it is huge, especially if you want a seat at the table. And I think that the understanding of a PL is sort of inextricably linked <laughs> to being able to make those business decisions because finance really tells the story of your business to your shareholders. Yeah, that's very true because, I mean, even myself, it's one of the things I've, um, over the last couple of weeks, probably two, three months now, um, intentionally, you know, gone on YouTube just to watch videos around <clears throat> um, how to read financial statement. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean for the impact of the company? Because I'm trying to figure out, and, you know, a part of this podcast is a part of that as well, why I decided to do it. Like, how do you make that link between marketing and financial statements like what marketing activities directly impact um, a financial statement so that when marketers as a marketer you're going to the cfo or the ceo to say hey we need an increase in budget on this specific thing then you know exactly what numbers or what data they care about and what to pay attention to that you know what growth levels you need to pull in order to make that happen yeah, well, and that should be also a two-way conversation. I don't think people talk about this enough, but when I was at Firechase, we completely transformed how we did financial reporting. Specifically, we um, segmented out our P&L, right? So we looked at how profitable is the wind turbine segment of our business right. versus the military segment of our business versus the machine shop segment of our business. and the finance team wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't meet with them extensively and say, first of all, the three segments that matter are wind turbines, military and machining, right? Um, and these are the products in our ERP system that get sold to each of these segments because finance doesn't usually talk to customers. Finance is a back office function, right? So they wouldn't have the knowledge to be able to figure out what data goes in what column, right? They do have the financial knowledge about building a P&L, Right. But they don't know which product we sell to wind versus machining, right? So if you can make that a two-way conversation, you can actually, as a marketer, help finance understand how to really contextualize those financial reports, which makes them way more valuable for both sides. So definitely make that a two-way conversation if you can. Yeah, that's a good point. Have you ever been in a situation where um, throughout your marketing career, you've had to gone to whether it's CEO, CFO, whoever, for an increase in marketing budget. And if so, how did you make that happen? How did you get that buying for that increase? Yeah, I got a I got a thirty percent increase in my budget after like about fifteen months working at Firetrace, I think. Um, and it was just about contextualizing it in terms of the strategy. Hey. Um, this is what we did this year in order to grow this segment. You can see the revenue coming through now. Um, I'd like to make these moves next year to grow further in this segment. And, and therefore I proposed this budget and um, I didn't get any pushback. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> no, because uh, that's, that's such a great point. How, how can I put this? Um, the first thing that jumped out at me that, that you said was that you're focused on revenue, like, you know, how can we, or, or should I say, these are the areas that's contributing to revenue. So let's focus on that. Um, I know Chris had mentioned this once, um, but I don't think it's spoken about enough because often we, we, we'll hear marketers talk about brand marketing. Oh, you need to build a brand. You need to build a brand. And I'm saying, yes, that's true. Branding is a good long-term strategy, but 
what are the things you need to focus on like in the short term that those revenue generating activities that makes you know builds that trust and that respect that we spoke about earlier with your ceo like you need to focus on those things as well yeah i mean one conversation that specifically happened was like you know you're gonna the budget is only so big right if you if you invest in marketing you can't invest somewhere else so um sometimes actually as a marketing leader you should you know be clear about the fact that maybe the investment in marketing is not the best investment for the business right and and you you should think like a ceo that way right like just mg stop 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 which which marketer is going to admit that an investment in marketing is not the best thing right no a marketer who understands that there are um other areas of the business that might actually return more revenue right like um as an example right let's say um you have two options you can increase your digital marketing budget or you can hire a couple of engineers to develop a new product that will you know open up a new customer segment for you right Right. you need to look at that in terms of like all right let's say my digital marketing investment can help us grow revenue 25 percent next year but this new product line if we can get it off the ground will help us grow revenue 80 percent over the next four years and that's how the ceo's thinking right this or that it's not like you know, is it good to invest in marketing so we can grow revenue 25% or not? Like that is good. Growing revenue 25% is good, but growing revenue 25% at the expense of growing revenue somewhere else, 80% is not good. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, So I think, I think we've, we spoke about an, um, a good amount here, you know, definitely appreciate you coming on. Any any closing thoughts that you have, just like advice around the whole aspect of how marketers can prove their value at a C-suite level, that is. Yeah, I mean, um, I think listening to this podcast, probably a lot of people are like, a lot of these things that I've done or talked about, right, they require you to be sitting in a leadership seat in a in a company. Like right. the reason I have all this visibility into the PL, the reason I can get the VP of finance to change how they're doing reporting is because I am their peer and we sit in the board meetings together. And so I just want to acknowledge that, right? Like I have gained a ton of valuable cross-functional business experience by um, being in a leadership seat, which isn't, you know, the easiest thing to accomplish, right? And maybe not a short-term solution for a lot of people. Um, so given that, I would say one easy step that a lot of people can take is listening to more business podcasts. So this podcast is a good example, right? But um, podcasts with stories about founders who built businesses, right? What were they thinking about and when? And that'll give you a lot of context for, again, how does the CEO or the person with the, the largest number of levers that they could pull in the business um, <laughs> spend their time and prioritize things? And you'll find out by listening to these stories, How I Built This is a great podcast with business stories. Um, you'll find out like, hey, a lot of the time the CEO is thinking about supply chain or they're thinking about finance or they're thinking about cash burn. And um, sometimes they're thinking about marketing, but like when are they thinking about marketing versus when are they thinking about other things? And it'll give you a lot more empathy for the CEO. It's easy to do, right? You just, you know, swap out your regular marketing podcast with a couple of business episodes here and there. Awesome. Awesome. Great tips. MJ, great points. Thank you again so much. If people need to find you, where can can they go? 
Yeah, I am most active on LinkedIn. So I am just MJ Peters on LinkedIn or slash MJ Peters one. And uh, I accept all connections unless you're going to try to sell me something. <laughs> MJ, such a pleasure having you on. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Winston. This has been the Revenue Alignment Podcast. Join us next week where we have more amazing content to help you demonstrate, communicate, and improve your value at the C-suite level. I'm Winston, your host, and this is a wrap.